what's up gospel fellowship this is pastor rod i am so glad that y'all are joining us i think today's going to be a blessing to you I want to encourage you to share this to uh, get the word out i think god has a word that he wants me to share with you today so pray that you're encouraged i want to encourage you to get a copy of god's word with you uh, you can use it as a bible app or however you decide uh, a digital format something you're holding in your hand let's dive in to god's word before i do that i want to say thank you uh, for those that have been generous towards Gospel Fellowship uh, during this time of a pandemic, uh, many of you all have not slacked at all in your giving. And to that, I say thank you. That is a that is a labor of love and faithfulness. I believe that we give out of our response to what God has given to us. So thank you for that. I also want to encourage those that may have fallen behind to to uh, to, to to get back into giving right to to start today to to use that number that was on our screen just a, a moment ago so you can be generous to the work of the ministry and then lastly uh, for those of you that have been furloughed or have lost income or may be struggling right now financially i want to encourage you to connect with us our church wants to be a blessing to you we want to help you walk through this time until things get better so you can contact us at caregossipfellowship.net our deacons are waiting joyfully to serve you and so i want to encourage you to do that amen all right well let's get into this series we are in a series called the god of justice and today we're talking about um, the injustice of systems the injustice of systems we've been defining justice each week i want to continue defining it this week we've been calling it this tripod if you will of 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 justice uh, it comes from a hebrew word called mishpat and, and we've been saying that this justice has three different components to it. The first one is punishment. That yes, if there's, there's wrong done, that justice says you should be punished for it. It's a part of justice. When we look at uh, protection, there's a part of justice that speaks to protection, that speaks to uh, defending the, the dignity and the value of humanity because we're made in the image of God. And then lastly, there's a component of justice that talks about care and caring for those that, that need help from the larger community. And so as we see this word, we've been walking through uh, what injustice looks like with racism. Today, we walk through what injustice looks like with systems. We'll talk about injustices against women and injustice against the, the, the foreigner or the immigrant. Um, and then we'll have a collaborative at the end. We work through, man, how do we practically live this out? So I'm going to be light on application in the sermon uh, in light of that sixth week. But I also want you to be engaging with us today as we think through systems of injustice. Let's read. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who sold and brought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seat, seats of those who sold pigeons. That's an important word. We'll come back there. He said to them, it is written, man shall be or my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna, the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear these things? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants in nursing babies? You have perfected praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. I have three points for you this morning from this title, System of Injustice. Point number one, a system of injustice. Point number two, people of justice, stand up. And then point three, what can I do? What can I do? Let's pray. Father, 
in the matchless name of Jesus. We thank you that you are here, that you are with us. Thank you that you are calling us into this, this work of justice. We pray for your grace, your wisdom, your direction, your leadership, your, your endurance, your perseverance to be in us and on us, Lord, as we work not for salvation, but from salvation. Would you give us everything we need in this work? And would you convict like only you can your people to do what you're calling them to do? And so we ask this in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, Trevor Noah, in his book called Born a Crime, writes about uh, the institutionalized system known as apartheid in South Africa. He talked about how they formed a formal commission who wanted to make sure that they were doing systemic racism right. So they went to countries like Australia and the Netherlands and in America. And they studied the good and they, they left out the bad and they came back with this very large document on how they were going to apply apartheid in South Africa. Apartheid is a police state, systems of surveillance, and then also legislations and policies meant to keep black people in South Africa oppressed. Here's how he defines apartheid. He says, in America, you had the forced removal of Native Americans onto reservations, coupled with slavery, followed by segregation. He says, imagine all three of those things happening to the same group of people at the same time. That's apartheid. When, I, when we approach this idea of systemic injustice, we're we're running up against something in our culture. Our culture has forced us into two camps. Either you are a person that is big on the individual will of the person to triumph over any injustice or any handicap or any uh, late start in life to accomplish whatever it is that you are desiring to accomplish. They would argue there are no systems of injustice. Those are excuses created to keep you a victim and paralyzed. There are others that would say uh, there, there, there are these um, systems that even as you work hard and, and, and you, you get your education and you stay out of trouble, you're still going to bump against these, these glass ceilings or these, these systems that are bent on keeping certain population of people oppressed. And that is, it prevents them from moving forward. It's this, it's, this, it's this battle of individualism versus systems of injustice. And one of the things I've been saying over and over again in this series is that for the Christian, for, for the Christian, we don't swim in the camps of our culture. We're not just those on the left or on the right. That's far too narrow. We're not just Republicans or Democrats. We're not just black or white. We understand God has called us to be in this world, but not of it. And he's called us to think critically about the culture in which we live and in so doing, be able to speak justice to issues without being tethered to parties. Beloved, we are called to live in this altogether different way of life. 
And so I can, as a Christian, look at the two choices they tell me or give me and say, you have to pick one. And I can say, I don't have to pick one. I can see both of them. You see, I do biblically have a moral responsibility to my God. Yes, he's he saved me, as the psalmist would often say, he is my God. There are personal components to the Christian faith, yet he calls me to this collective. He calls me to, to live in a way that's just not about me, but it's about, it's about the people around me, which means I need to care about how all of humanity are experiencing this life that we're living. And so I can understand that there can be systems of injustice. I'll begin by appealing to sheer logic. If you get the gospel, if you get the gospel that we were made in the image of God and, and sin came in and, and, and marred us because of sin, all that, that, that comes after Adam, all the people that come after Adam are, 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 are sinners by nature and we're sinners by our own actions. And, and because of that, we need a Jesus who comes and rescues us and redeems us from sin. He, he buys us back off of the slave market of sin and he gives us a righteousness that we do not deserve. If you understand that, 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 that simple narrative of the gospel, here's the question as it relates to how we see systemic injustice. How can a broken person that's been marred by sin create perfect systems. Just sheer logic. I have a propensity to sin, Pastor Rod. I am redeemed by God's grace, but I still have propensities. I have temptations that I have to fight against every single day. How can Pastor Rod build a perfect system, perfect policy, perfect legislation, perfect country? I can't build the perfect marriage. I can't be the perfect father. I can't build the perfect ministry. I can't build the perfect job. But yet only in America do we conclude that we can have a perfect country, a just country designed by people that because of sin are unjust. None is righteous, no, not one. We all have been marred by sin. How then do we build this perfect country? We have it. So I call all of us never to place patriotism over our allegiance to the Christian faith. Not only am I appealing to your logic, I'm appealing to scriptures. In Genesis chapter 11, we see here that these people, they, they, they want to build their own city. They want to build this tower that reaches heaven and they want to make a name for themselves. They want to live life apart from God. And they have this great system and they're working together and everyone is speaking the same language and they're all caught in their own idolatry of self-worship. And God has to come down and fight against that system of selfishness and making a name for themselves. 
We can go on. We talked about Moses last week and, 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 and we get to Egypt right there in Exodus. And, and, and there's this system of slavery that is that is keeping the people of God enslaved, working for Egypt. This is not just individual. This is systemic. This is a system at work. This is a system at work. You talk to an Israelite and say, man, just 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 be confident and, and just be strong. He, he, he's hindered by the system of slavery. So God does not just come to, to Moses and say, hey, I want you to preach the gospel to all the Israelites. This is good. He doesn't just say, come, hey, give them a good word. T tell them about eternity. He doesn't just do that. He says, Moses, I need you to come and speak to the Egyptians. Watch this about this system of injustice. So it's not just passing out tracts to the Israelites. It's speaking to kings. It's talking to Pharaoh. It's not working from the ground up. It's working from the top down. He's fighting a system. We go on to the book of Judges, and that is, a, that is just a compilation album, if you will, of, of God having to rescue people out of their oppression. And as soon as he rescues them, they, they, they sin and fall back into the oppression. It is really a seesaw of a book if you take the time to read it. And God shows himself time and time and time again through the work of individuals that he is in fact a God of justice who delivers his people. We can look at 1 Samuel chapter eight, and the nation saying, we, we, we don't want judges. We want a king like all the other nations. We want a system to protect us, a system called government. We want a king and we're going to make him a king. And if anybody messes with us, he's going to protect us. He's going to fight for us, not God. He's going to fight for us. We're going to push him way up. and We're going to sing his praises and he'll protect us. And God tells him, you don't want that. You don't want man to be your king. Because if you do, he's going to take advantage of you and he's going to oppress you and you're going to be marginalized and he's going to build his own kingdom. God is testifying about what the king will do before the king ever, ever gets there. And what happens? Show sure enough. King after king after king after king. Yes, I did just say show sure enough. They do exactly what God says. They oppress the people of God through various systems of keeping them impoverished. We can go on to the Israelites being taken away in Babylon. You Listen, you get the picture that throughout biblical history, there has been system and system and system and system of injustice. And so it is in the Bible, so it is in our own history. You can go back to 1970s. You can talk about what's called the war on drugs. It's this war that went after uh, uh, certain drugs that were used by certain people groups. In Nixon's administration, one of his chief uh, 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 advisors was caught saying this. Listen to this quote. You understand what I'm saying. We knew we couldn't make it illegal to either be against the war or blacks. But by getting the public to associate with hippies, associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities, we could arrest their leaders, we can raid their homes, we can break up their meetings, and we can vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about drugs? Of course we did. Here you have a marred individual by sin 
propagating an uh, unjust system, the war on drugs, which led to mass incarceration of black and brown people. Today, African Americans make up, African American men make up only 6.5% of the general population, but they make up 45% of the prison population. Today, white men uh, have a one in 17 chance of going to prison, while black men have a one in three chance of going to prison. Today, there are more blacks in jail than there were blacks in slavery. Think about that. It is the perpetuation of keeping a certain people group oppressed. It's a system. I refuse to believe only black people commit crimes. I refuse to believe only black people do drugs. And if, and if that's the case, we have been sold a narrative that makes black men in particular fearful to the broad society. It's a system. Or look at education. Today, um, black students make up about 18% of, of, of our students in school nationwide, but they make up 50% of the suspensions. I refuse to believe only black kids get in trouble. So what's happening? When all groups are examined, black students are three times more likely to be suspended than white students even when their infractions are similar. Overall, black students represent 16% of student enrollment and 27% of students referred to law enforcement, AKA the prison pipeline. Look at healthcare in 2020, there was a study found that the majority of doctors have this unconscious, this unconscious racist uh, racial bias when it comes to their black patients. Black Americans are far more likely than whites to, to, to lack access to emergency medical care. The hospitals they go to tend to be less well-funded and staffed by practitioners with less experience. This sin of systemic injustice or systems of injustice runs deep. I'm a pastor and often people will come and they would confess sins to me. Various sins, lying, cheating, lust, um, um, pride, hatred, anger. Confess, confess multiple sins to me. One of the things I'll do in, a, in some subsequent uh, meeting or conversation, I would ask them, where are you in that sin you confess? And they'll update me. What am I proposing? That that sin you struggle with then doesn't just go away because you confessed it to me. I understand. Sin has a tendency to linger and reemerge at a later date. If that is how sin works, if we have to constantly crucify the flesh, if I am to do what Colossians 3 says, put to death the sins of the flesh, then how am I to suppose that injustices were handled once and for all and they no longer linger? We have to understand that these sins follow us in these systems. 
And so we, the people of God, have to constantly call that out and work towards their end. Because the people that stand to, to really feel the brunt of these sins are the poor, the oppressed, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants. This quartet of injustices or people that are sinned against in that way. Point two, people of God stand up. God does not redeem a scattered, I love this quote, God does not redeem a scattered collection of isolated individuals. He redeems a people. They are to be an alternative society, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Exodus 19 verse 6. As we look at our text for this morning, Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17, you see Jesus in Jerusalem at the Passover. He's observing what is happening in the temple because injustice have crept into the house of God. Here we have these three courts. One court is for uh, Israelite men that were allowed to go in that court. In the second court, there were Israelites, men and women that were allowed to go there. And then there was this third court, and this was called the court of Gentiles. These people that are non-Jews. And it is in that third court that you see this selling and exchanging going on. Because these people, some were coming from far away, so they would not necessarily carry their animal sacrifice to the temple. They would, they would walk there with their families, and when they got closer, they would purchase animals to sacrifice. Or if, if they got, as they got closer to the temple, they would exchange their currency the same way you and I would do if we were traveling to a foreign country. And Jesus is observing, and the thing that is off here is that these people in the court of Gentiles are being overcharged for the exchange of currency. They are being overcharged for the exchange of animals, particularly, he points out, those that are selling pigeons. And what we know of pigeons is pigeons is what was, was, was given for people that lack means and resources. They were allowed to offer pigeons as a sacrifice because they were poor and impoverished. So here you have the exploitation of those that do not have adequate resources and funds. And Jesus sees it. Jesus sees this longing for greed and for money and status. Jesus sees this, this ethnic superiority by saying, hey, you Gentiles, you hang out over there. We're going to hang out over here. This, this wall of petition that Ephesians 2 talks about that's separating the people of God. Je Jesus sees that and he goes off. Now, he's not in a rage. He's not he's not he's not responding out of anger like you and I was. He he responds out of righteous anger. Righteous anger is there to move us towards action. We see even in John chapter two that before he does this, he sits down and he's making a whip. This is calculated. His aim is to overturn this system of injustice that has crept into the temple. He's, he's overturning their exploitation. He's overturning their ethnic superiority. This man of justice is moved to engage not just the individual. He's not going to the person that is selling pigeons saying, hey, can I, can I talk to you about how this happened? He, he does do that. He, he ministers to the individual, yes and amen. But he also engages systems. This is, this is the Jesus we worship. 
And the church is called to be that same kind of bold witness when we see areas of injustice. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32 says this, he shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who, who know their God shall stand firm and take actions. The King James says it this way, and the people that know their God will be strong and do exploits. It starts with us not just trying to work it up, work it up, work it up to be people of justice. It is that, that we have to know in whom we belong. We have been rescued. We have been ransomed. We have been given the spirit of God. Now he's calling us to action. Matthew 23, verse 23 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tithe of your spices of mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the more weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Here's what Jesus says. You should have tithed. Nothing wrong there. He's not, he's not demonizing tithing. He says, that's right. But he also says, you, I don't want you doing that with ne while neglecting weightier matters. The marginalized people that are around you matter. Those that are being oppressed matters. The same way your worship matters. As we continue, we look at... Uh, just how people throughout history have done this right now in your life groups and your D groups. Shout out to all life groups in D groups. Shout out to life group leaders in D group leaders that are continuing during a pandemic doing what God has called our church to do, which is make disciples. You're, you're, you're studying this, 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 this evangelistic concept called three circles, and, and it's real simple, isn't it? It's real clear, real easy. Here's the idea that we're trying to move you towards, that, that, you, would, that you would see someone who may not be walking with Jesus, that you would pray about sharing your faith with him, and then lastly, you would go and share your faith with him. I believe ultimately sharing your faith is about you bending your will to God's. Not my will, Lord, your will be done. I'll go into this awkward conversation. I'm going to go risk being rejected because I want your will, not mine. Not only do we see this in three circles and see this in advances, and we see this all throughout history. People of God, people that have named the name of Christ have been working for areas of justice for a long time. We are surrounded by witnesses, witnesses like William Wilberforce, who fought for the eradication of the slave trade. He used his political seat in his political position and leveraged his political influence to fight against the eradication of the slave trade. Here is one man who saw a need, prayed and asked God for wisdom on how to move on it. And then he went and moved on it. Stumbling sure messing up without a doubt, but he moved on it until he saw the slave trade eradicated. Or take someone among us today like Brian Stevenson, who is, who, who is a, a, a one that is fighting against this, this, this mass incarceration of black and brown people that we see. He is fighting to, 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 to work to improve or reform our criminal justice system. Maybe you've seen the movie Just Mercy. He is he is the attorney in the movie that's being um, played by that gentleman in the movie. I forget his name. But anyway, he's the, it, it's about his life. And his fight. To get people out of jail that never belonged there. 
And he starts this equal justice initiative. This is this is Brian Stevenson, a man that would name the name of Christ. He he sees a need, he prays and then he works towards it. Or maybe someone like Harry Tugman who fights against this system of slavery and bondage and leads some 300 slaves to freedom doing 19 trips from the south to the north. And I, and I wonder, did Harriet read a book on how to free slaves? Did Harriet attend a workshop about the best routes to avoid being captured? No, she nothing wrong with workshops. Let me clarify. Nothing wrong with books. Big proponent of them. But she saw a need and she prayed and she pursued. God was with her. Or look at Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood against one of the most ruthless men in history, Adolf Hitler. And because of his conviction as a theologian about what the gospel calls us into and that the gospel is not just spiritual, it's also physical, that it's social. He's moved with what he calls active resistance against injustice. He is not solely concerned like his colleagues about spiritual piety. But he's also concerned with active resistance. And this resistance against Hitler in World War II cost him his life. He is hung for what he believes. Beloved, this isn't a light thing. This fight for justice will take as long as you are breathing on this side of Jordan. It's going to take your efforts. Or someone that's becoming a hero, the more I walk in this area of justice is Dr. John Perkins who grows up in the South and moves to California and then comes back to fight in the South for, uh, as a part of the civil rights movement. He goes on to found what is called the Christian Community Development Association. He is this champion for justice. He is one that fights for the wall being torn down between the black church and the white church. And, and he, is, he is a huge proponent of this multi-ethnic expression of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ. This is Dr. John Perkins saw a need, prayed and moved. And one of the things that's so amazing when we start moving is God starts showing us what our next step is. When we commit to walk, we start walking and doors start opening, ways start being made. The more we walk and say, yes, God, I'll go, the more clearer things become. So when I get this question over and over again, Rodney, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? How do I do that? Rodney, show us how to do that. I don't want to rob the creativity and innovation that God is giving you and how he wants to use you fit to your gifting, fit to your personality, fit to where you are in life, fit to how old you are, fit to where you live, fit to all your experience. He has been weaving a story in your life and he wants you to come to him. Say, God, where are you calling me into? What will you have me to do as it relates to justice? I think of someone like Florence Nightingale, Nightingale, who was a young girl, had get all, gone on to school and decided that she would give her life to nursing. She would fight to restore men in the Crimean War in Britain. She had this philosophy that if men were hurt and they had bandages, that those bandages needed to be clean. 
She was known for sterilizing errors to make sure that, that around the body of the wounded and the injured, that it was free from germs and possible infection. She would make sure that they had hearty meals to help them recover. She would help them write letters back home so their family wouldn't be grief-stricken thinking they were dead when they were alive. She added value, she added dignity, and she added worth to soldiers that were wounded from the war. And she goes on to become this mother of modern day nursing. Why? Because she saw a need. She prayed and she went. What about this other man who's sitting in glory on the right hand of the father and sees what injustice is causing Sees the marginalized, sees the poor, sees the widow, sees the orphan, sees the sinner, sees how sin has ravished humanity and something needs to be done. And there's only one person that can do this job. And so he leaves the comfort of heaven, comes down through 42 generations and lives this life that we could not live. We would have been utterly lost without him. We would have been devastated without him. We would have no hope without him. We would have justice without him. The full penalty of our, our sins should have hit us solely for our injustice. But the man of justice comes in and takes what we belong on him who does not deserve any of that. Takes what we deserve and put it on him and he doesn't deserve it. So that we can have a chance at eternal life and fellowship with the Father. That we'll be engrafted into his family. Christian faith is not just about dealing solely with your personal sins. It's about this man of justice coming in and doing for us what we don't deserve so that we can be people of justice that do for others what some may say they don't deserve this, but the people of justice understand we got what we didn't deserve, so we give. We give our lives to efforts of this stuff because God has been gracious to us. So to that question again, what can I do? Well, let's go to God in prayer. One of the things I want to do right now, I mean, I get this question all the time. I struggle with this question myself. Rod, what is Rodney going to do? Rodney going to enter some spaces and people are going to say to Rodney, who, who does Rodney think he is? And they're right. I, look, who is this Rodney? But here's my commitment. Here's what I'm asking the Lord to do with me. Lord, would you make me man of justice? Would you make me a man that is fighting for the least of these, the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant? Would you make our church that? Would you help us to see this not as a fad, but something that is tethered and wired into the DNA and the values of our church? So one of the ways that I got to do this is I got to go to God in prayer and I say, God, God, I know how you wired me. I know my experiences. I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm, I'm weak at. Lord, Lord, how do you want to use me? How do you want to use me? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Who am I supposed to connect with? How do I draw attention to these needs? What are my next steps? And that's what I'm doing. I'm fumbling into this. 
Thinking that just a couple weeks ago, God, there, there, there are people that are hungry in our city. What do I do? So, so, so we're going to try to connect with this organization that gives food to people that are hungry. And we're going to try to be a conduit of feeding people in our city. Rodney, do you have everything figured out? No. But I'm stumbling into what God wants me to do as I make myself available to him. So what does that look like for you? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some time right now and I want you to pray. We're going to pause my preaching for a moment and we're going to give you some time to pray about where is God calling you into areas of justice? Maybe where is God calling your family into areas of justice? Maybe where is God calling your small group, your discipleship group into areas of justice? I want you to take some time and pray about that. Take some time and pray about that. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. He wants to teach you all things. He wants to lead and guide you. He wants to, he wants to counsel you on how to do it best. He wants to comfort you when you feel weary and tired or confused. He wants to lead you into this pursuit of not just serving yourself and gathering more, but leveraging your life for the sake of others so that the gospel can be pronounced and so that needs can be met. It's not both and or either or, it's both and. So let's take some time and pray about that now. How was that for you? Well, I pray um, that God's speaking to you and your family. God wants to speak to you. I want you to pay attention. One of the ways God confirms things is he starts orchestrating your steps. Pay attention to the conversations you have over the next week. Pay attention to the people you meet. Pay attention to what you come across and as you're reading, as you're watching things. Let's ask God to show you the lane for justice he wants you to run into. I believe he wants to do that. GF, uh, we miss you. We love you. Uh, I want you to stay tuned for the hangout. It's going to be incredible. Elder Mark is going to be leading us, and um, I will see y'all real soon.